Welcome back to the Simpkins Family Chronicles podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to episode one. You might want to go back and listen to it if you haven't, because that's where I kind of lay the foundation of my relationship with Scott and how we met and all of that. And in today's episode, I will share with you about our first couple years of marriage and my first time experiencing a bipolar episode, which was, well, you'll find out. Take a listen. Welcome to the Simpkins Family Chronicles podcast. My name is Kimberly Simpkins, and this show is about my family's amazing journey of navigating mental illness and marriage and much more. Psalm 6612 says, You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. My goal is to share our story of the many challenges our family has experienced while living in the shadow of my husband's bipolar one diagnosis and how we were miraculously brought to a place of safety by Jesus's mighty hand. I hope to encourage those who are walking alongside a spouse or partner with mental illness while also growing in faith and devotion to the Lord. Even if you're not a person of faith, I think you will still be encouraged by our story, especially if you or a loved one struggle with mental illness. Special thank you to my husband, Scott, for his support and permission to share the story as well as allowing me to use one of his original compositions performed by yours truly on violin and a wonderful colleague on piano. and welcome back to the Simpkins Family Chronicles podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to episode one. And I left off at that episode when Scott and I got married. We had just um, experienced some amazing provision to get started with our new lives. And so we got married. So I'm going to tell you some about that in our first couple of years of marriage. So on a beautiful summer day, September 11th, 1999, Scott and I said our I do's in front of family and friends. We got married in my hometown in North Carolina and decided that we should have our honeymoon in Myrtle Beach, just a few hours away. We were oblivious to the fact that out in the Atlantic, Hurricane Floyd was churning and threatening to make landfall just within a few days. Sure enough, our honeymoon was cut short and we, along with everyone else in South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida, were forced to evacuate the area. At the time, it was the largest peacetime evacuation. It took us forever to get back to our home in East Tennessee. What a way to start a marriage. And what ironic foreshadowing to start our marriage in a storm. Do you remember in Chronicles of Narnia how it was, quote, always winter but never Christmas? Well, the only way that I know how to describe life just after we got married, was always daylight, but never sunny. It wasn't really dark. It wasn't raining or dreary, but every day felt like a gray, overcast day. It was confusing and discouraging. I mean, you know, I'm a newlywed, and shouldn't it be better than this? (laughs) Even the name Floyd means gray, interestingly enough. Life was good, but it just seemed like we just lived underneath a canopy of gray. 
Scott was struggling spiritually and he was going through quite a bit of warfare. And in spite of our efforts of seeking out help and involvement in our local church, it just seemed like he wasn't getting free. The local pastors and ministers we sought help from seemed to think it was all Scott's fault and blamed him. Apparently, he wasn't doing enough or he wasn't wanting it bad enough. He has to want to be free, they said. Well, it wasn't that Scott didn't want to be free. He didn't know how to get free, which is why we were going to these churches for help and counsel. Meanwhile, Scott was seeing his psychiatrist on a regular basis for treatment for his bipolar disorder. I admit I was pretty ignorant about bipolar disorder, but I didn't know it at the time. Scott had been with the same doctor for many years. I met him early on, but I didn't always go with Scott to his appointments. About a year and a half into our marriage, Scott informed me that the psychiatrist lowered the dosage on one of his medications at his request. Since I wasn't actively involved in Scott's care and I was naive about bipolar disorder and the various treatments, I didn't think anything of it. What happened next, I can only theorize, but that low dosage just wasn't sufficient enough to treat Scott's symptoms. Somewhere along the way, he got it into his mind that he didn't need the medication at all, and by the time I realized that Scott had not been taking any medication for some time, he was already in a full-blown manic episode, something I had never seen before. Let's just say that the summer of 2001, I received my baptism into the world of mental illness as I witnessed my husband turn into someone I did not know. He was manic, but not only that, he was also on the verge of psychosis. He thought he was supernaturally anointed by God to deliver the world. He didn't sleep. He was agitated. And while he was never abusive to me, he wasn't pleasant to be around. His family seemed sympathetic towards me and even encouraged me that all I had to do was get him back on the meds and everything would be great again. According to his mom, from now on, I would have to make sure he took his pills every single day and even watch him swallow. They had been down this road themselves with Scott, so they knew the routine. He just couldn't be trusted to take his medication. With pity in their voices, they would tell me, you poor thing, you just had to find out for yourself. Well, that didn't sound too appealing to me. What in the world had I gotten myself into? What was wrong with my husband? While this was going on, I was also trying to understand what was going on spiritually here. Because while yes, I could understand that there was some brain chemistry stuff going on, at the same time, that gray canopy over our lives just seemed to grow even darker that summer as well. There was a dark presence in our home, almost as if there was a third party present in our marriage and our household. This presence was malevolent, and I can tell you for a fact that it did not like me. It wanted me to leave Scott. You should just leave now. Get out while you can. This voice would taunt me. He's nothing but trouble. See what you're going to have to do for the rest of your life? He can't be trusted. This presence did not want me in Scott's life. I almost felt as if this invisible something was trying to get rid of me. Being a believer, I knew that this was not God speaking. I knew that the Lord was in our marriage, and I knew that he had a plan. In fact, before we had gotten married, God had given me a scripture, Psalm 91, 14 through 16. I truly believe that that was a promise from the Lord. And even though I knew that Scott was working through some things, I was confident that whatever it was, God was going to see him through it. Because he has set his love upon me, 
Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high. I will honor him. You can read those three verses for yourself, but I, I just knew that I had to hold on to that. So no, I was not going to leave. I was going to stay, if for no other reason than to not give that malevolent presence the satisfaction of getting rid of me. That summer was pretty rough. I really didn't know what to expect. I was just so, I don't even know what the words are. I just bewildered. I couldn't believe that this, this man who I had fallen in love with and who I'd met and seemed to be, you know, just fine. All of a sudden, he wasn't. And I just had a lot of things that I had to think through. And fortunately, Scott's family allowed him to stay there for a couple of weeks while the medication kicked in. So that that gave me some good time to quiet my heart and just really pray. And so that's how I really felt in my heart that I needed to stay and that this was what God wanted me to do. And so I just needed to see it through. By the time Scott got back on the meds and started to get back into his right mind, the country was plunged into its own drama when 9-11 happened on our second anniversary. That fall, while the country was reeling from one attack, I was recovering from what felt like an all-out spiritual attack on Scott, on me, and on our marriage. So just to show y'all how new I am at this and how I don't know what I'm doing, I just realized that my microphone wasn't plugged in. So that whole last segment right there was recorded straight into my phone. So if it sounds a little different, I just plugged my microphone in. In early 2002, the movie A Beautiful Mind came out. Look it up. It's a great movie. That movie made a huge impression on me. I cried, especially at the end. One thing that got to me was that I could really relate to the wife in the movie. At one point, she discovered that some of the things her husband had been telling her were actually not true, but rather delusions brought on by his illness. He wasn't lying to her. He really believed what he was telling her, and she believed him. But what he was telling her was his own mind playing tricks on him. How was she supposed to know? It put her in a horrible position as a wife. I could relate because Scott had insisted that many of his issues were spiritual. He never denied having bipolar disorder, and thankfully, it was not difficult to get him back on his medication. But at the same time, he insisted that there was this darkness with him, a spiritual oppression. As a wife, what was I supposed to believe? I mean, I could actually feel the presence of something dark around us. I could sense that something, some force did not want us to succeed and that this thing somehow viewed me as a threat. So I couldn't dismiss what Scott was saying about darkness and oppression, but at the same time, there was this mental illness that wasn't going away either. So which one was it? Was he mentally ill? Spiritually oppressed? I could relate to the movie A Beautiful Mind, but I also felt like we were living a little bit of Frank Peretti's This Present Darkness. Do y'all remember that book? Well, in the midst of the questions, life went on. We got back to our lives and back into our routines. Scott faithfully took his medication, and he didn't return to church, however. He didn't abandon his faith in the Lord, but to be honest, the truth is that the people in the church just really didn't know how to take Scott, and I'm sure he could pick up on that. I would go, and I tried to plug in, as they say. I played on the worship team. I went to Bible studies, etc., etc. I went for my own spiritual growth. And I was a talker. In the Bible study groups, I would ask for prayer for us and share the spiritual struggles. People gave me books on deliverance. You need to pray this prayer. Scott needs deliverance. 
Well, basically nothing helped. For one thing, I was doing all the work. Before Scott got sick, we had gone to some counseling and had started going through Neil Anderson's Steps to Freedom in Christ. At first, he was a little more proactive in seeking out help and relief, and we would go together to counseling. But after that awful summer, Scott closed up. He didn't want to go to church anymore, and we stopped seeking out counseling together. He never abandoned his faith, but he just really didn't want that much to do with the whole church scene. Who could blame him? And he still seemed haunted by something dark. I just couldn't put my finger on what it was because on the surface, everything seemed fine. We were working. I was playing in the symphony. He was coming to my concerts. He was working. We were going out on our little dates and, you know, just enjoying each other's company. And we did a lot of things together. He introduced me to camping. He introduced me to the Great Smoky Mountains. I mean, you know, we're doing all of these things. We're living life, but just something was just off and I couldn't figure out what it was. Right after we got married and before that awful summer that he had that episode, Scott seemed interested in trying to figure out what it was. Even before we met, he was looking for answers, but after that summer, he changed. He just did not seem interested in any more in finding any help. So, I was on my own. During this time, I pressed into the Lord. Where else would I go? I journaled my way through this time and poured my heart out to the Lord. All I wanted was a normal life. I wanted Scott to be free of whatever it was that seemed to haunt him. We were into our 30s by now, and slowly life began to get back into a rhythm. Our marriage was not bad at all. Scott and I always had a great friendship, and we enjoyed each other's company, and we got along well. He was never a bad husband, but it was just like something was holding him back from all he could be. I couldn't figure out what it was, and while it did seem to bother him, I think he just didn't know what to do about it. So, we went on with life. Daylight, but never sunny. Being in my 30s and feeling like we were finally in a better place, I began to feel the tug towards motherhood. Scott and I both agreed that it was time to start our family. I always believed I would be a mother. You can call this prophetic if you want, but long before I ever met Scott, I always knew that I would have a little girl and I would name her Jasmine. Back in the day, my favorite TV show was A Different World and the lead actress's name was Jasmine Guy. Ever since I heard that name, I said to myself, one day, I'm going to name my daughter Jasmine. I dreamed about her, and I prayed for her, and I knew the time was coming to meet her. We were overjoyed in October 2003 when our beautiful pink bundle of joy came into the world. From day one, I called her my sunshine because that is literally what she was, and still is. If every day was like a gray overcast day, she was the sunlight that broke through those clouds. I poured myself into life as a new mom. It was wonderful. I cut back on some of my teaching, but I did maintain my position in the symphony. Scott stopped going to the concerts so he could stay home with her in the evenings when I had rehearsals and concerts. Occasionally, his mom would take her, and we could still go out on our date nights. Because of my choice to stay home most of the time with Jasmine, we lost some of my income, and life got hard for us financially. It was frustrating, but at the same time, I did not want to trade my time with Jasmine for anything. I really wanted Scott to try to better his position at his job, and he had several opportunities to pursue promotions, but for whatever reason that I could never figure out, he just wouldn't do it. 
He was still struggling spiritually and mentally, and I guess the thought of carrying more responsibility was stressful for him. Although at the time, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand how stressful it can be to deal with a serious mental illness and try to maintain your responsibilities at a job and work for eight hours a day. Amazingly, I mean, that says a lot about Scott's character because he really, really tried hard. When not contending with this invisible darkness, we really did enjoy life, especially after Jasmine came along, because we would schlep her around everywhere. We would go for our little drives. We would go to the mountains with her. We would take her to uh, eat with us. And, you know, one of my favorite memories is us going to IHOP and sitting her in her little high chair and getting her a, a, a bowl of ice to play with while Scott and I ate and had our deep conversations and we just included her in everything, you know? So life went on and I enjoyed being a mom and got her involved in little play dates and Scott went to work and I was playing my role as that stay-at-home mom. But I don't know, just something just wasn't, I don't know, don't know how to explain it. October 2005 came around and Jasmine turned two. We had her birthday at Chuck E. Cheese thanks to my mother's generosity and it was a happy time. But in spite of the sunshine that Jasmine provided, it seemed like the rest of our lives was still shrouded in this gray blanket and it seemed to me like no matter what I did, I just couldn't shake it. No amount of prayer, counseling, nothing was helping. In fact, things began to get even darker. Scott was struggling again. It was interesting to me that Scott, despite being diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which has cycles of mania and depression, he never really seemed to get depressed, but he would get what I could only call weird. It was almost as if he had another personality or something. I didn't know how to describe it or what to call it. I just knew that medication didn't seem to help. Prayer didn't seem to help. And there were times when I, I just didn't know what or who I was dealing with. I knew my husband was in there, my real husband, but there were times when I almost felt like he was someone else. Like there were times even when his he would just his eyes would just kind of glaze over and it seemed like he would be in his own little world and he would get triggered by small things would just kind of upset him. Um I don't really know how to explain it, but you know, he was never violent or never abusive or anything like that, just different. That fall of 2005, things began to get even more intense. Not long after Jasmine's birthday, around late October slash early November-ish, something like that, Scott decided once again that he no longer needed his medication. God was getting ready to deliver him. This time, at least he told me about it first. And I have to say, I went along with it. And here is why. I wanted so desperately to be out from under this cloud of oppression that seemed to follow us. I just couldn't understand what it was. Was it demonic? It sure felt like it. It literally felt like there was another presence around us, especially around Scott. At least it was coming from his direction. Without sounding too weird, it was as if something was attached to him or maybe someone I don't know. It sounds weird to say it, and it felt weird going through it, and I just didn't know what to make of it. Maybe it was, in fact, something demonic that had attached itself to Scott through his family line. We had gone through some spiritual counseling, and they take what they call a spiritual inventory, where you go through this checklist, and they ask you questions like, have you or anyone in your family ever been involved in? 
And then they would list all these possible open doors to spiritual darkness, such as consulted mediums, played with a Ouija board, been involved in any kind of occult activity. As far as Scott knew, he had never done anything like that. But there was some Christian science in his background, and supposedly there was a psychic somewhere in the family line, but Scott couldn't think of anything that he had ever done to invite anything into his life that was dark. So, maybe it was the mental illness. Maybe Scott was schizophrenic after all. They did diagnose him with that initially when he was 16. I asked his nurse one time if they were sure he had bipolar disorder, and she said yes, because of the way he responds to treatment. He didn't meet the criteria for schizophrenia. Well, that made sense because when Scott was well, he was very well. When he was what I call the real Scott, he was great. Nope, they were pretty sure they had given him the right diagnosis. I was at a loss, and I felt like I just wasn't getting much help anywhere else. I had nowhere to turn but the Lord. I just wanted us to be free, and I was desperate. It didn't seem to matter if Scott was on medication or not, so whatever. Let him do what he wants. So, somewhere around the end of October, Scott stopped taking the medication for the second time in our marriage. Things were fine for about a month or so. We spent that Thanksgiving at Scott's parents' house. All the siblings and cousins were there. I don't even think anyone really noticed that Scott hadn't taken his medication in a month. Little did I know that would be the last time I would ever step foot in my in-law's home. Nothing prepared me for what was about to come next, and yet, maybe everything up to that point was leading up to the events that was about to unfold. By early December, I decided I needed a break. I decided to take Jasmine and visit my sister for a few days. I kept the lines of communication open with Scott, and around the third day, I discovered he hadn't been going to work. Uh Uh-oh, I thought, here we go. When Scott picked us up from the bus station, that's when I knew something was really wrong. Scott was manic. He was agitated and definitely not himself. He looked like he hadn't shaved, and his hair, which had grown out down to his shoulders, and it was beautiful and wavy, it was disheveled. We got home, put Jasmine to bed, and Scott sat me down, and he had something to tell me. Well... I think I'll stop it there for now because things are about to get really interesting and it needs its own episode. So I hope you've enjoyed everything so far and I hope that you'll come back and see how things unfold. There's a whole lot more ground to cover, so stay with me. Thank you for tuning in to the Simpkins Family Chronicles podcast. You can find out more information about us along with some helpful resources by visiting my website at www.simpkinsfamilychronicles.com. Be sure to subscribe to my email list for updates and follow me on Facebook and Instagram under Simpkins Family Chronicles. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, the adventure continues.